Um, so, just to recap, inshallah ta'ala, very briefly, uh, what we have been doing, as many of you have noticed from the flyer, and if this is your first or second time here, we have been going through a topic called purification of the soul. And more specifically, we have been discussing 10 principles related to or concerning the purification of the soul. The first of which we talked about how Tawheed is the foundation in which souls are purified. And I'm sure this is just a refresher to all of us. And we talked about how Dua is the key to purification of the soul, how the Qur'an, the third principle, the Qur'an is a source of purification. And the last two weeks we talked about the Prophet Muhammad and how taking him as a role model, as our true role model, is a means of purification of the soul. So out of the ten principles that we have discussed, these were the first four that we have already learned or, or, or gone through in, in, a, in a few brief sessions. And what these four principles have done for us, alhamdulillah, in a brief manner, is just establish a foundation of what the heart should have in order for our hearts and our souls to be purified. Understanding the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making our hearts inclined towards calling upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what we learned when we talked about dua. Understanding that the Qur'an is a source of purification, that this is the guide to our lives, and taking the Prophet as a role model. Now tonight, we're going to be going through four other principles. So we're going to be going through principles five, six, seven, and eight. And many of you are thinking we're probably going to be here until midnight. No, inshallah ta'ala. The reason why we are going through four principles tonight, even though it took us four or about two or three months to go through the previous four principles, is inshallah that those four principles, as we discussed, they are the foundation of what a person should have in their heart. And these next four principles are more about the practical steps a person should take in regards to purifying their soul. So once again, these steps that we're going to mention inshallah, and they're going to be mentioned together in a similar context, and you will see how one relates to the other. And we'll talk about how these are some of the practical ways in which the soul is purified. So to get started, inshallah, the fifth principle regarding the purification of the soul is for a person to remove or to get rid of the sins or the dirt that is upon them and to adorn themselves with righteous and good deeds. To remove themselves of sins and to adorn themselves with righteous deeds. And the sixth principle which we will be talking about in context, in very similar context, is that you remove the path, you remove the ways in which a person, they are led to sin. Remove those ways, those obstacles, or those avenues that a person may take that causes them to leave, to, to fall into a life of sin or to, that causes them to live a sinful life. And so we'll be talking, them, talking about them, these two in similar context, inshallah, before we talk about the seventh and the eighth principle. Now, the Shaykh, he mentions an ayah mentioned in Surah Tawbah, and he says, خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً تُطَهِّرْهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا وَصَلِّ عَلَيْهِمْ إِنَّ صَلَاتَكَ سَكَنٌ لَهُمْ وَاللَّهُ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ And he gives the example when he is speaking about removing sins, when he is removing a person's bad qualities, evil traits. He gives the example mentioned in the Qur'an of Sadaqah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً That take from their wealth sadaqah And the sadaqah will do and achieve two purposes تُطَهِرْهُمْ It will cleanse them وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ بِهَا And this whole, this word that sounds very familiar to us at this point When we're talking about tazkiyah, when we're talking about purification What else will the sadaqah do? 
it will purify them. And so understanding that this also applies is a specific example of sadaqah, but generally it applies that when we remove our, when we remove sins from ourselves, this is cleansing ourselves of these impurities, of these sins, and by adorning ourselves with righteousness and good deeds, what are we doing? We are purifying ourselves. And so this is a similar hadith the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions the example of sadaqah and the effect of sadaqah, of how sadaqah removes sins just as water extinguishes fire. And so the idea for us to grasp here and to understand is that one has to happen before the other. We can do as many righteous deeds as we want. But in order for that to have an actual effect on our body and specifically on our heart and the, stat and the state of our hearts, we have to also work towards removing the impurities and what we may call the diseases of our hearts. And just as a small minute example to understand how this works, when you are trying to clean something, when you are trying to remove the dirt from something, you obviously want to remove the impurities. For example, if I want to vacuum this masjid right now, I'm going to remove every single thing that I see from within my own eyes that is dirty. I'm going to, get, I'm going to put all the chairs against the wall. If I see Jack is laying on the floor, I'm going to remove them. If I'm cleaning my car, I'm going to take out all the trash that I have, and then I'm going to vacuum. Or similarly, in a sense in which we come towards our salah. What is the requirement that we come with our salah towards? That we make wudu. That we are cleansing ourselves from our impurities. Even if we may not physically have any dirt on our body, even if we may not physically have any, anything that is affecting us from our salah, but we are, this is our prerequisite to our salah. That's, that wudu is the key to salah. That without wudu, that you, your salah will not be complete, your salah will not be valid. And this goes to show also how the Prophet ﷺ, he spoke about how wudu is a means for a person, for them to have their sins forgiven. That a person who completes wudu in a, in a perfect manner, in, in, in an excellent manner, then their sins will leave their body just as dirt leaves under the fingernails. And so know and understand that when a person, when they want to make the effort, and I'm sure this is the exact reason why we're all here, when, why we're learning about this topic, about purification of the soul, because we want our souls and our hearts to be inclined towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first step, or one of these steps in doing so, is to remove the soul or to remove the impurities and the dirtiness from the heart and from the soul. And there are a few examples, inshallah ta'ala, that we're going to be going through tonight to, un to better understand this. And firstly, it's important to understand that why is it important to remove impurities? Because first and foremost, everyone, they commit sins. It's important to understand. Every single person, nobody is free from sins or from error. Like the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he told us, That every single son of Adam is a sinner. Every single son of Adam, every single person is someone who commits sins, is a sinner. And the best of the sinners are those who repent and do tawbah and return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as the Prophet ﷺ also taught us that when, a son, when the son of Adam, when they commit a sin, a black dot appears on their hearts. And until they repent and they leave off the sin and they repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this black dot will not be removed. But if they do so, this black dot will be removed. And if they return to the sin, then this black dot will also appear. And some people, they reach such a level where they are drowning in sins, where they go their entire lives without ever seeking the repentance, without ever returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that their hearts 
they remain rusted or dirty with these black dots or what we can call sins. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to in the Quran in Surah Al-Mutaffifin when he says, that rather their hearts have been have been become rusted or have been covered with a cloth of sins or bad deeds, whatever we may call it, evil deeds. But this is what is is the cover, is 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 a rust that appears on the hearts and something that affects us spiritually. Because a person when they have a heart that is spiritually dead, that is covered by sins that their heart is not inclined towards the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards understanding who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is this heart is a heart that is void of the remembrance of Allah that person is going to be much harder for them to achieve purification of the soul no matter how many good deeds they may do they may pray all night but at the same time they're living a lifetime a lifestyle of sin it will not have the same effect which goes to show the importance of removing sin first and foremost before jumping towards and seeing what good deeds should I busy myself with. We should also think about what, what things we should be removing from our life. What things should, should we be removing from our lifestyle? What bad habits do we have that, that have an effect on our heart, whether we see it or don't? And we should also know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaces our sins with good deeds if we act upon them and if we do good deeds. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us That indeed good deeds, what do they do? They remove and get rid of these sins And like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in multiple places in the Quran While a person should be making effort towards doing good And replacing that the bad habits that they have With good deeds, with righteous acts Like he tells us in Surah Al-Ankabut In the last ayah Those who strive and struggle for our cause that those who they strive and they struggle for our cause, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will guide them, that we will guide them to our path. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with those who do good, who do righteous actions, those who are amongst al-muhsineen. And elsewhere, in many places throughout the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Inna Allah la al-muhsineen. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He does not let go to waste the good deeds or the reward of those who do good, who are amongst al-muhsineen. So doing good deeds, a person, they shouldn't belittle any good deed and think that it doesn't have an effect on my heart. No, that's not what we're trying to say. Rather, what we, the point is, is that a person, in order for them to have the good deeds, take the full effect and lead them to a life that is purified and, and a life that is consisting of a pure soul and a pure heart, is that they remove the bad deeds first. And while doing so, they are striving and acting towards some of the righteous actions. So what is some of the ways that we can first and foremost remove the sins that are upon our hearts? And also, as we mentioned, the sixth principle, cut off those doors that lead to those sins. What are some of those ways that we can do that? First and foremost, a person, they should be abundant in seeking istighfar. In repenting and turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And very often in the lifestyles that we live, a person, they don't hear the messages of hope that a person needs to hear. Understanding the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Understanding how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most merciful and how He is the most forgiving. This is something when a person, when they're caught in that lifestyle, they often, they tell themselves that I'm going to wait until later. Until a time where I'm older, when I have more time. 
or when I am more quote unquote religious in which I will repent and turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we should remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always the most forgiving. As he tells us, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ Say, my abd, my servant who has truly transgressed against himself. لَا تَقْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ I'm sure this is a verse that all of us we hear very often. We just don't idealize it. We just don't think about it. And we don't actualize it and act upon it. لَا تَقْنَتُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Do not despair and do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا That indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all of the sins. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, various other places. وَمَنْ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ Who can forgive your sins other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And elsewhere in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَهُوَ الَّذِي يَقُبَلُ التَّوْبَةَ عَنْ عِبَادِهِ That it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who accepts the tawbah, who accepts the repentance of his slave, of his servant. وَيَعْفُوا عَنِ السَّيِّئَاتِ And what does he do? He removes and erases his sins. And look at the different opportunities, the different ways, the avenues we have in having our sins forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't need to go to an intermediary. We don't need to go to a third party. Rather, we just simply, with a sincere heart, look and, and turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek forgiveness. Leave off that sin, re- sincerely regret that sin, and seek forgiveness for that sin and, and, vow, and vow and hope to never return to that sin. And this is something that we should understand and, 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 and realize that we should constantly be making istighfar for all of the sins that we have. Like we mentioned in the beginning, the hadith, that the best of the sinners are those who return and make tawbah and repent back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should realize and understand that even our messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who we talked about these past two weeks, how perfect of a role model he was. How even he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he used to repent and seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 70 to 100 times a day. And this is the most perfect person who, to ever walk the earth. This is how much he would seek forgiveness a day. 100 times a day he would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person who, he has no sins. A person who has been guaranteed Jannah. And so, look at ourselves and reflect upon ourselves. How, how often are we seeking forgiveness? How often are we returning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a sincere heart? For the sins that we knowingly commit, the sins that we unknowingly commit, the sins that are big, that are small, all of these sins, they have an effect on our heart, whether we realize it or not. And so, if we are striving to do good, like we are right now, we're in the masjid, we're learning, we, may, we just pray Salat al-Isha, we may be reciting Quran, we have all these good things going on, but at the same time, we should be conscious and mindful of those things that may prevent us from being able to reap the benefits of doing so. And we should understand some of the benefits of those who repent and turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those who do istighfar, and istighfar comes with many benefits. Amongst them, number one is that a person who, who does istighfar, they are amongst those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he refers to as al-muhsineen. Those who are, they do good. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, amongst their qualities is وَبِالْأَسْحَارِ هُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ That in the very early morning, in the dawn time, before Fajr, they spend this time doing what? Repenting back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They spend this time turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing istighfar. This is one of the qualities and the attributes and the traits of the person who is righteous in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should look at some of the ayat in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the benefits, the various benefits of doing istighfar. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like like Nuh alayhi salam told his people in Surah Nuh, uh, فَقُلْتُ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ 
إنه كان غفارا what will happen as a result يرسل السماء عليكم مدرارا ويمددكم بأموال وبنين ويجعل لكم جنات ويجعل لكم أنهارا that plentiful rain and blessings will come from the sky and you will be assisted with your wealth with, with various blessings and more and, and, and with sons and with offspring وَيُمْدِدْكُمْ بِأَمْوَالٍ وَبَنِينَ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ جَنَّاتٍ وَيَجْعَلْ لَكُمْ أَنْهَارًا And you will be given an abundance of, of gardens and rivers. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, in a similar ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He tells us, وَيَا قَوْمِ اسْتَغْفِرُوا رَبَّكُمْ ثُمَّ تُوبُوا إِلَيْهِ يُرْسِلِ السَّمَاءَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِدْرَارًا وَيَزِدِكُمْ قُوَّةً إِلَىٰ قُوَّتِكُمْ that similarly, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you an abundance of wealth, offspring, rain, and strength. And what will he do? He will add strength to your strength. And so, when a person, when they are going through difficulties in their life, when they are losing hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is amongst the first things that he should do? Is he should seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He should make istighfar. And realize that maybe these difficulties or these, or these things, these calamities that are befalling upon me are as a result of my sins and my shortcomings. And as that, that should motivate him and, and make him turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And elsewhere in the Quran, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, the ayah that we discussed last week, of one of the blessings of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is that the Quraysh, the people, they were saved from punishment. And like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not punish or will not punish the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and specifically the people there, and if they were doing one of two conditions. One meaning, وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ That Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is amongst them, is living amongst them. And obviously as we know, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa has passed and has, has left this world. And the second one is وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not cause them to be punished وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ As long as they are seeking forgiveness for their sins. As long as they are in a state of istighfar. And so this is just a brief insight, brief touch point into understanding that one of the ways for us to remove our sins, if not the best way, is to constantly seek forgiveness for our sins. To constantly seek istighfar from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our sins that we do. And when it comes to adorning ourselves with righteous deeds, knowing that when we do righteous deeds, that these also, this is a means and a way for us to have our sins forgiven. Like some of the ways that we know that the Prophet sallallahu taught us about fasting, about reciting Quran, about even the salah itself. We talked about a, a, such a small example of how wudu is a means for a person to have their sins forgiven. And we know from many other narrations that a person when they are walking or when they are coming towards a masjid, the masjid, this is also a means for them to have their sins forgiven. When they are waiting for the salah between adhan and iqamah, this is also a means for them to have their sins forgiven. And think about the salah itself. When we are sitting in salah, what we are doing, even when we are sitting between our sajdas, what we are saying, we are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. And so this goes to show so many different things. But one of the things is it shows us how good deeds we remove, they remove the evil acts. They remove sins that a person may commit throughout their daily routine, throughout their, day, throughout their lives. And so this was the fifth principle, and, and very brief, to talk about how a person, they should be, in order for them to achieve and attain purification of the soul, they should remove themselves of sins and adorn themselves with righteous deeds. And the sixth principle that we mentioned was that a person, they should 
cut off the means or the ways in which they are led to sin. In which the path for sin open up. And as we know nowadays, there are many. That if you look left and right, there are different people, there are different avenues, there are different ways in which a person can call to sin. And it's very important for us to understand and realize how we can stay away from these things. And the one thing that I want to highlight in just a few minutes, in just the remaining time that we have, is the sins of the tongue. And knowing that this is from the easiest sins to fall into. The sins of the tongue. Like Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, he said that most sins, they happen as a result from two, one of two things. Most sins, result as a, most sins, they happen as a result from unnecessary speech or from looking at impermissible things. And both of these things we will talk about. That these are two things in which a person, they are led to sin. That leads to, to, to even more sins. This is, as we call it, a gateway to more sins. And specifically when it comes to safeguarding the tongue, this is something that a person, no matter how many good deeds, righteous deeds that they are doing, this is something that can hold them back and be a, and a, reason, and be a reason for them to have all of their good deeds wiped out. Like the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which he was sitting with his companions عنهم, and he asked them, he says, المفلس? He says, do you know who is the one who is truly bankrupt? And I'm sure many of us, we have heard this hadith and we have, and we have realized and, and learned this hadith before. And the Sahaba عنهم, they responded just as I'm sure any of us would. That when, when somebody asked that who, is the true, who is the true bankrupt one? How do you know if someone is bankrupt? The one who has no worldly possessions, the one who has no wealth, he does not have any possessions, he does not own anything. This is the one who is bankrupt. So this is how the Sahaba they responded. And so Rasulullah he responded that the one who is bankrupt is the one who will come on the day of judgment. And he will come with all of his good deeds, his prayers, his fasting, his giving zakah, his giving sadaqah, his, reciting of, his recitation of Qur'an. But at the same time, what did this person do? He took the rights of this person. He backbited this person. He slandered this person. He lied against this person. He hurt this person. He shed the blood of that person. And all of these sins, and many of them related to the sins of the tongue, like backbiting, cursing, slandering, lying, all of these things. But shows us how important the rights of others are. This is of course one of the other lessons, the important lessons that we learn from this hadith. But what will happen to that person is that each person they will come and they will take that person's good deeds and they will take it and add it to their own account. And it will come to such a point where that person if they are left with no good deeds and they have nothing to take from that person, what will they do? They will leave that person with their own sins. They will take their sins and, and leave it on this person's account. So this person who came on the day of judgment with an account filled with righteous deeds, with an account filled with all of the good deeds that you can imagine, reciting Quran, doing prayers, fasting, all of these things, because of the way that they sinned in this life and the way that they took the rights of others in this life, what will happen, they will be left with nothing but sins. May Allah protect us. And many other hadith, many other things have shown us the importance of safeguarding our tongue. Like Allah, like Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he told us in another hadith, "Inna al-abdalaytakallamubilkarima." That a person, a servant of Allah, a slave, indeed they say they say a statement, they they utter a word, just a word, utterlessly, and they utter it without even thinking about its implications. They say something without thinking twice about what effect it may have, and what happens as a result? This person, 
as a result of what they said, if it is something that is evil and something that was sinful and it's something that is something so severe, sometimes which we say without realizing what we're saying, that person will fall into the hellfire in a distance that is greater than the distance between the east and the west. May Allah protect us. <clears throat> and many other hadith, we'll just go over a couple of them. In which Allah in which Rasulullah he told us that whosoever guarantees that whosoever guarantees for me two things, I will guarantee him one. Meaning, whosoever guarantees for me what is between their legs, meaning their private parts. And guarantee, meaning guaranteeing that a person safeguards that thing. And they guarantee themselves safeguarding what is between their lips, meaning their tongue. That Rasulullah says, I will guarantee that person Jannah. Showing how important it is for us to safeguard our tongue. And for us to lower our gaze. For us to not fall into these different avenues that, we, that are so easy for us to do today. And everywhere we look, this is something that we see. The way that we speak, the way that we interact with others. This is something that is very easy for us to fall into. Both of these types of sins. The sins of the tongue and the sins of the eyes. And both of these sins which lead to other and further sins. Like Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he used to say that he often he would put a stone or a rock under his tongue to suppress himself from speaking too much. And he would say that this tongue, this tongue has gotten me into a lot of trouble. This is Abu Bakr known as As-Siddiq, the one who is the truthful one. He is saying that this tongue has gotten me into trouble before. And he said that there has never been a time in which I regretted my silence. But there have been multiple times in which I have regretted my speech, in which I have regretted saying something. And this is something we should all reflect upon. Knowing that nowadays is, is, is a good trait, it's a good quality for somebody to be someone who's outspoken, who's very bold. They have you know, unpopular opinions, and they're always saying something that is getting the attention of others. This is something that people, they do nowadays, we see it. They just put out an unpopular opinion out there, and, and this is how fame comes to them. They say something that is so blasphemous, and this is how they get their attention. And their entire career, their entire platform is built off of these things Based off of the things that they say that are filled with vile and foul speech This is how their lives are This is what they are known for, for the things that they say Look at everything that people listen to nowadays The music that people are listening to left and right Uttering these lyrics without realizing what they're saying Think about what we're seeing with our eyes Whether it's social media or the TV shows that we're watching One of the brothers, he brought up a beautiful point in which how Nowadays we normalize and we talk about some of the TV shows amongst one another in which such foul things are happening. That maybe it was a few months, few years ago in which when we would see something on our screens, you know, we would cover our eyes. We would turn over to the person next to us and cover their eyes because we were so, you know, disgusted by seeing what is happening. You know, and it would be something that what we may look at nowadays, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not that bad. You know, we can look at it. Oh, it's only PG-13. You know, I, I can watch that. You know, this is the attitude that we have towards some things, or even listening towards some things. And especially when it comes to our tongues, even saying certain things. And it is not limited to just what we say, but also the way and the manner in which we speak. And nowadays, especially what we even, the content that we may even put online, the way that we speak to others, whether it's via text message, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on social media, these are things that we should be conscious of. Because as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawm al-akhir That whosoever believes in Allah and the last day 
فَلْيَقُلْ خَيْرًا أَوْ لِيَصْمُتُ That let him say that which is good or remain silent. Meaning that if you don't have something that is good to say, something of benefit, something that will not bring the conversation down and that will be a means of regret, then stay silent. Then stay silent. This is better for you. And this is something that even the Prophet ﷺ would teach the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. One time, Mu'ad ibn Jabr radiallahu anhu, he went to the Prophet ﷺ in a very famous narration, in a long hadith. And he said that, Ya Rasulullah, tell me something that if I do it, it will allow me to enter Jannah and allow me to be saved from the hellfire. This is one of the greatest companions of, of, the, of, of the, one of the greatest, one of the greatest Sahaba radiallahu anhu, Mu'ad ibn Jabr, who is known as, as he, he would teach though, he would teach everyone what was halal, what was haram. The Prophet ﷺ would say, if you have a question about fiqh, go to Mu'ad ibn Jabal. He will tell you. And so Mu'ad ibn Jabal, this great sahabi, he goes to the Prophet ﷺ, he asks him, then tell me one thing that I can do. It will allow me to enter Jannah and stay away from the hellfire. And in this long narration, the Prophet ﷺ, he tells him that believe in Allah. And he goes over these five, the five pillars he talks about, that stay to your salah, give zakah, fast. Go for hajj if you have the ability. He talks about uh, staying away from sins. And at the very end of the hadith, to, cut it, to keep it short, he says at the end, at the end of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he grabs hold of his tongue and he says, safeguard this. He says, He says, safeguard and control this tongue. Because indeed this tongue, and Mu'ad ibn Jabal, he asked, he said, will this be something that causes people, will this be something that people they will regret? And Rasulullah he says that I have not seen something that will cause people to enter the depths of hellfire more than the sins, more than a person letting go and not safeguarding their tongue. And so it goes to show, think about in our own lives the different ways in which we, we sin using our tongue. The backbiting, the slandering, the cursing, the foul speech that we have. And is how easy for, it is for us to fall into the speech. Even if we're around it, even if we're not used to speaking like that, even if we're not even if we don't consider ourselves amongst those who will, you know, fall into the sin, we should realize that this is one of the traps of shaitan, one of the ways in which he gets us to commit more sins by being in these types of environments in which there is foul speech, in which there is backbiting, in the types of gatherings in which there is no benefit, when all you're talking about is other people, when all you're talking about is things that do not remind you of Allah, that further take you away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And lastly, we should know and understand that when it comes to this principle, the sixth principle, which is closing off the doors, we should always remember that constantly we are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us on the straight path. That what we are doing is throughout our salah. We are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to keep us. That we are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance, for, his, for the path of guidance. And it comes in a hadith in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in which he speaks about this path, this straight path, and he talks about how this path it has two walls. And when a person, when they enter upon this path, they are told there is a caller who says that come, that do not leave this path, that come straight. And upon the walls, there are many doors that are just covered by curtains. And this caller who is at the end of the path, they are saying that do not go towards these doors because if you go towards them, you will enter them. And you will, and you will, and this, and the, and by entering them, it will be something. It will be a means of you, of, of your destruction. And so, from this hadith, we learn that the Prophet ﷺ, him saying this, shows us that one, that the walls of this path, that this wall, ha, that this path has two walls, and these walls are the limits of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the limits that Islam, that our Deen has set for us. 
And these doors that are covered by curtains are the doors in which a person, they are led to sin. As soon as you enter that door, as we mentioned, it's so easy to fall down that path. But if you keep going towards this path, and at the end of this path, in which there is the Qur'an, knowing that we are living our life and, and by the Qur'an, and knowing and understanding that, think about even the placement of the surah that we were just talking about, surah al-Fatiha, how we're making this dua, mustaqim, that the rest of the Qur'an is to come. That as we open the Qur'an, we're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guidance. And if you are sincere in asking for that guidance, and following that guidance, and you stay upon that path, and you do your best to close off those doors that take you to sin, then that is a means and a way for your souls to be purified. And so, let us just remember these brief points. That doing good deeds, as we mentioned in al hasanat al sayyat that we should be rushing towards doing as many good deeds as we should be, as we can be doing. khayrat that compete with one another in doing good. Compete with one another. We should be encouraging and motivating one another. That tomorrow is Monday. Who wants to fast? Who wants to follow the Sunnah of fasting Mondays and Thursdays? Or the white days of every month? Or let's sit together and recite Quran together. Or let's, you know, go go uh, be and this is one of the means and one of the, the principles that we will be discussing tonight as well. Being amongst righteous company. And how being amongst righteous company is a, is one of the ways in which a person they are leaving and closing off those doors and avenues that lead them towards sin and removing themselves and, and adorning themselves with righteous deeds by being in that righteous company. And so I'll end here inshallah ta'ala and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be amongst those who we work constantly towards removing the evil qualities of ourselves and seeking istighfar and we are constantly seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and trying our best to adorn ourselves and to live a lifestyle with full of righteous deeds. Full of righteous deeds. And as we know, it's so easy for us. To, the reward that is there for us is, 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 is unmeasurable. That man amila salihan, man ja'abil hasanati, falahu ashru amthaliha. That as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, whosoever comes with, with good deeds, whoever, whosoever comes with a good deed, falahu ashru amthaliha. For him is tenfold. His reward is tenfold that good deed. وَمَنْ فَلَا يُجْزَى إِلَّا مِثْلَهَا That whosoever comes with a, an evil deed, a sin, what is left for them is nothing but just one times what they did. They did. And so for a person, imagine when you receive your book of deeds. For you to have more sins than, than evil, than, than righteous deeds means that you are doing something wrong. Because our righteous deeds, not only are they more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, but they are weighted heavier. And so this should be a motivation for us to leave off the different sins that we may be living. None of us are perfect. We all have our sins, but this should be a motivation for us to leave off sins and to have the effort and to make the intention to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make istighfar and to replace those sins by doing righteous deeds. وَآخِرُ دَعْوَانَا أَنَّ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ InshaAllah ta'ala we will now be going over the 7th and 8th Alhamdulillah, 
نسأل الله عز وجل أن يجعل القرآن العظيم حجة لنا لا علينا صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى يجعلنا من المفلحين في الدارين صلى الله سبحانه وتعالى يجعلنا ممن يعمل بعلمه ولا يجعل علما وبالا علينا أمين ويسك الله عز وجل تميك the Qur'an a proof for us on the day we return to him and not a proof against us on the day we return to him. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from those who benefit from the knowledge and apply it. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not make this knowledge a means for our destruction on the day of judgment. I remind myself with this and everyone else because this is from the hardest things to do is applying what you know. Is applying what you know. Now, and we've mentioned many times, rather we try to begin every lecture and every talk, speak about the importance of applying the knowledge and from the punishments that one encounters when the knowledge that they have and they, they carry is not applied. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us from that and to make us from those who are successful on the day we return back to Him. Uh, before I begin, I wanted to mention two things just to summarize all the things we've been going over the first thing is there are two things that lead to the state of your heart there are two things that lead to or affect the state of one's heart and there are two things that translate the true state of this individual's heart everyone with me there's two things that lead to or affect your state the state of your heart and there are two things that prove outwardly the state of that individual's heart. With me? The two things that lead or that affect the state of one's heart are the things that, one, they see with their eyes, two, the things that they hear with their ears. As Ibn Qayyim al mentions in the Dawa Dawa, he mentions these are the two things that affect the state of the heart. The things you see and the things you hear. Okay? And two things that show or translate the state of the individual's heart or soul is the state of their tongue and the state of their limbs. Tayyib. So the things that go in through here and here affect the state of your heart. And the things that come out of here and here show what your heart truly cares. With me? So this is very important. It's a very important principle. Right? very important principle allows us to be cautious of what we do with these limbs that Allah has blessed us with. What we do with these limbs that we didn't even ask for. We didn't ask for these blessings. We, Allah gave us these limbs. And how much of a loser one is. Right? That they were given a blessing by somebody. Someone's given you clothes, someone's given you wealth, money, whatever it may be and use that towards something that would displease them, right? Your parents give you something, they give you a gift, they give you an amount of money, they give you a new car, right? And you use it towards something that you know will upset them. So how about an example Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater? How about these blessings that Allah Azza wa Jalla has given us and using it towards what would displease him? May Allah protect us. This is what we call kufran al-ni'am. Kufran al-ni'am directly translates to disbelieving in the bounties of Allah. What do we mean by disbelieving in the bounties of Allah? And not being thankful for the bounties of Allah. Anyone can say Alhamdulillah. 
Anyone can say, I'm so thankful for X, Y, Z. Anyone can say this. But what truly shows one's gratitude is what you do with these blessings. Oh, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given me these eyes and I just encountered a blind person. Now I'm so thankful for my eyes, but this person watches haram. What you have spoken about being thankful about the blessing of eyesight isn't translated with your actions, right? So using your actions towards what pleases Allah and refraining from using these blessings towards what displeases Him. Okay, that's the first thing I want to mention. Okay? The second thing is, especially this past topic, understanding and really remembering. Sa'atu rahmatillahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. The mercy of Allah, how great and immense it is. How great and immense the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. And really pondering over this trait of Allah's mercy is from the greatest things that increases the relationship of the servant with his Lord. Imagine someone who has done so much kindness towards you and they've treated you so well, right? Imagine this kind of person, whether it's your parents, whether it's your friend, whether it's your boss, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a, a whatever it may be, someone who has really excelled in treating you right and being compassionate with you, treating you kindly. By Allah, tell, ask, answer this to yourselves. How is your relationship with this person going to be? How are you going to treat this person? How are you going to value this person? You're going to hold them at a very high state, very high standards. You're going to be very cautious of doing anything that will what? Anger and upset them. You will bare minimum try to reciprocate the kindness and the compassion that they have shown you. You at least try your best to reciprocate it. So how about with al-Mawla subhanahu wa ta'ala alladhi la yu'addu ni'mahu wa la tuhsah How about with our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala whose blessings and bounties one cannot count and enumerate? How his mercy, and look, just to, look at this topic of the istighfar that Khun Umar mentioned. The seeking the istighfar and how Allah mentions in the Qur'an the, the reward that comes from istighfar. Look at how many, just ponder upon how many times throughout our daily lives how many different acts of worship that are so easy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made from its, these rewards is the forgiveness of Allah, is your sins being forgiven. You from salat to salat, whatever sins you've committed between these two salat, what happens? Your sins are forgiven. For before the salat, the wudu you make, the hadith says that the wudu you make, whatever the water touches, it is it what it removes and expiates the, the sins that that body part encountered and took part in. Like this is, look at the rahmah of Allah. Look at the mercy. Look how this is what it means when we read the verse, and I mention it a lot because it's a very heavy verse. Wallahu yuridu an yatuba alaykum. Allah says, yuridu Allahu liyubayyina lakum. Allah wants to show you the way, the correct way, the straight path. And he wants to guide you towards the path of the people who came before, eh, the righteous people, the prophets, the messengers, those who follow the way of Allah. And we see in the Quran and Sunnah how Allah has promised these people what? Jannah, blessings, bounty, bliss. All right, this is what, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying He wants to do this for the ummah. Then Allah continues, Wallahu yurid, at the end of these ayat, Wallahu yurid, alaykum. Allah says, Allah wants to forgive you. This is what's doing tafsir of these ayat. 
What we just mentioned from how from salah to salah, your sins are forgiven, your wudu is a means of forgiveness. You saying Istaghfirullah is a means of forgiveness for your sins. Every step you take to the masjid, every step you take to the masjid is a means of forgiveness. The Prophet says the one who actually takes the time to repent for a specific sin, it's as if what he did not come with the sin in the first place. And he puts in the same hadith the comparison of the one who enters Islam. What is the special bounty of the one who enters Islam? Everyone knows. What happens to this person who enters Islam? Huh? All their sins are forgiven. So the Prophet gives us the mithal, the example, the parable, to show us how significant the tawbah is. He says the one who enters Islam, all of his sins are forgiven, just as the one what? repents to Allah. You, you wronged yourself yesterday. You, you transgressed the boundaries of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yesterday. You did this, you stole this, you said this, you uttered that, you looked at this, and you remembered that sin. And you sought specific forgiveness and tawbah for this specific sin. Allah says it's as if it was never there in the first place. This shows us the forgiveness and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? And also understanding, before we go into 7-8, because they're very quick, inshallah, also understanding this hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that the Prophet also mentions, Kullu bani Adam This is for us to increase our hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to not let a shortcoming or a sin have us in a state of grief or a state of depression or a state of hope. You're just hopeless. All of, this, all of the children of Adam are sinners and the best of these sinners are whom? Those who repent. A tawabun. The ones who are what? Who have abundant amount of repentance. The Prophet also mentions that he's a tawbah. لِمَنْ وَجَدَ فِي صِحَافَتِهِ الْإِسْتِغْفَارُ الْكَثِيرُ كَمَا قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ He said glad tidings in another, in another translation. Jannah in another, in another narration. Uh, uh, a specific tree in Jannah is for the one who has been found in his book of accounts on the Day of Judgment an abundant amount of istighfar. Just using istighfarullah. Glad tiding, meaning what? What is to come is good, and don't don't fear any harm that will be uh, that will come your way. Glad tiding for this individual. When Allah in a specific, as Khuna Umar mentioned, in a specific part of the Quran, where Allah is talking about the traits of the muttaqin. Someone translate for me what does muttaqin mean, or someone who has taqwa, right? What does this mean in a very broken English? What is someone who is muttaqi? Abdul Fattah. What does it mean? Someone who fears Allah. Someone who is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone who obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the list goes on. This is someone who is consistently in this state though. He is known to be someone who does his best to be conscious of Allah. Fears Allah azza wa jal. Stays away from the boundaries of Allah. Obeys Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the best of his ability. And what excels in worshipping Allah. This is someone who is from the muttaqeen. Ahlul taqwa. Okay? Allah is describing Ahlul Taqwa in the Quran. And you will think that these, these traits are lofty traits. Great characteristics when Allah is describing the people of Taqwa. How many times he does in the Quran? Right? So you think that these are what? Very high, like, traits that are held at a high standard. Look amongst these verses found in Al Imran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning. Allah is mentioning hasten, race to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and paradise that is wider than the heavens and the earth. It has been prepared from whom? 
Al-Muttaqeen, the God-conscious individuals. Then Allah goes and mentions the traits and keeps on going. Who are the Muttaqeen? Look how, look at the, the mercy of Allah. He doesn't just tell you who the Jannah is prepared for, but He tells you who are these people. He describes these people so that you what? You hasten to carry these traits yourself. And they are attainable traits, Wallahi. From these traits, Allah says, and this is beautiful. It should give us all who bathe in the night time. And those who, Fahisha is a very evil deed. Some of the ulama say Fahisha, right, is another word for zina. That's how, comparing Fahisha to something as evil as zina, fornication, right? Some ulama even say that this is what Fahisha means in itself, right? So the one who commits evil, Fahisha, or the ones who have transgressed the limits of Allah. They've oppressed themselves by sinning and coming short with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What do they do when they sin? Allah said that these muttaqeen are sinners. This is what I'm trying to get to. Allah said they're God conscious, but they're sinners. How? Then Allah says, what do these people do when they fall short? Allah. They remember Allah. They remember Allah when they fall short. They didn't just remember Allah, but they hasten towards the tawbah. And then Allah reminds us and says, Who else forgives the sins other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The one you're going to return to alone, Azza wa Jalla. The one who's going to, you are going to be judged by him alone without any type of intermediary. Anyone that's transiting between you and him. He'll be judging you for every little thing you did. And your book is going to be open. You're going to be asked about X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Allah is telling you who is going to forgive other than the, the judge himself, Azza wa Jalla. And Allah is praising these people that sin, that come short. Why? Because they follow up the sin with what? They follow the sin with what? Tawbah, tawbah, The seventh of these principles, the seventh is Al-Ikthaaru min tadhakkuril mawti. Al-Ikthaaru min tadhakkuril mawti. Or tadhakkuril mawti. Right? Abundantly remembering death. This is number seven. Abundantly remembering death. And the Sharih, the author of the book, Hafidullah Ta'ala, he brings this verse and he says, He said, This ayah that we're going to bring right now shows us the importance of pondering over death and how it is a fundamental principle in cleansing the hearts. Allah says that at the end of Surah Al Hashr, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ وَلْتَنْظُرْ نَفْسٌ مَا قَدَّمَتْ لِغَدٍ وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ Allah Azza wa Jal says, O oh, you who believe, be conscious of Allah Azza wa Jal. وَلْتَنْظُرْ نَفْسٌ مَا قَدَّمَتْ لِغَدٍ And take account and look back and ponder about what you have prepared for tomorrow. What is tomorrow? What is the, what is the tafsir of tomorrow in this ayah? The, the day of judgment. A or al maut Qala Mujahid. Mujahid, one of the students of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, he says, Al-Ghad, A, Al-Mawt. Inna qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Inna al-Mawta, or Inna al-Qabra, awwali manazil al-Akhira. He says, the one, the death is the first, steps and stages of the hereafter. So this Allah is telling you what? Remember death. Allah is saying, remember what you have put forth for tomorrow. All you have tomorrow 
And the time your soul leaves your body is what you put forth from actions. Right? And those who are present in the Thursday classes where we were going over the journey to the hereafter, we mentioned in our first class that death and the reality of the dunya and the ahadith that the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us and warning us and informing us about the importance of remembering death and the state of the companions in remembering death. How many times does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remind us of death in the Quran? When Allah says, Kullu nafsin maut, every soul is tasting death. How many times does Allah says in the Quran? Three? Half of the time. Do you know where these three are though? If you know where these three are, I got something for you next week. I only remember where two are. Nah, I need three, Akhi, I'm sorry. This is Quran. I need three. There's three times, Sahih. Everyone agree? There's three times? The ones who know? Type three times. Can you give me one? Okay, end of Surah Al Imran. And, and where? Uh, end of Surah Al Imran. Okay, there's one in between those two Surahs. So I have something for a brother here and an Akhwana Zain. Right? These three times Allah every soul is tasting death. As a way of reminding us that every breath you're taking, you're approaching what? Death. You're approaching death. Right? قال صلى الله عليه وسلم أيضا في الحديث أكثر من ذكر هذه من اللذات أكثر من ذكر هذه من اللذات increase in remembering the destroyer of all pleasures and I mentioned this in the previous class so look at the wording of the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام انظروا إلى فصحة النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم والكلمات الذي اختاره صلى الله عليه وسلم look at what he the words he decided to choose and how he decided to describe death. He could have simply said what? Increase in remembering death. But he, he chose the phrase, increase in remembering the destroyer of all pleasures. What is the wisdom behind this? The wisdom behind knowing that death is the destroyer of all pleasures, this will lead or help one or assist one and aid one in disattaching themselves from these pleasures, even if it's halal, Busy, uh, having these pleasures, busying themselves from what? From reality, which is death. This is why the Prophet ﷺ used this ibarah, he used this phrase. Increase in remembering death. قال صلى الله عليه وسلم في الحديث كن في الدنيا كأنك غريب أو عابر سبيل These ahadith and how eloquently they are mentioned and how the words that the Prophet ﷺ used, look at his advice. He was given the most comprehensive of speech And these hadith really show you two things One, hirs al-Nabi Shows you the stride the Prophet had for his ummah Not just giving you some, you know, some advice that is dull Or just simple words But he's giving you advice that is so profound And the words he's using really puts in perspective The severity of the matter so Qala says, be in this dunya as if you're a stranger or a traveler. Be in this dunya as if you're a stranger or a traveler. The stranger, why? The stranger who is in a place he is not acquainted with. Someone who is in the setting where he doesn't know anyone. Maybe, let's give the example of someone who travels to a new country or a new state. Many of us probably have encountered this. You're traveling to a new state, a new country, right? And you start, you enroll into a new school. You enroll to new friends, people you don't know, people you're not acquainted with, uh, different norms, different tendencies. You just feel like a what? A stranger. You don't fit in. Is this person comfortable? 
If this person is able to just kick back, relax, put his feet on the desk, talk the way he likes, speak his mind, oh, he's very careful what he says, right? He's aware of his surroundings. He's not very easy to get acquainted with people, right? It takes some time for someone to get comfortable with him and vice versa. This is a stranger. Prophet is telling you to be in the dunya like this. Be in the dunya like this. Look at this example. Or a traveler. Why a traveler? I just told you why a stranger fit the description. Someone tell me why a traveler fits the description of how we're supposed to be in the dunya. What is significant about a travel, traveler? Someone who's on a constant journey. They're ready to leave. They're ready to leave. Okay. I want a little bit more. I understand what you're saying, but I want you, this is a very important benefit too. Whenever you're teaching someone something, right, or you're answering a question, you want to teach it in a way, you want to answer it in a way, as if the person in front of you has absolutely zero context in what you're referring to. Like you want to be as profound and as detailed as possible. So this person is able to leave that gathering or leave that answer that you just given them and can go and teach it to someone else. Right? So it really has this think about giving a very what eloquent answer. Now, Traveler, why traveler? What is, so, what is the correlation between a traveler and how the believer should be in the dunya? A traveler, when he's traveling, he never really unpacks his bag and mm -hmm. he takes stuff that's very minimal. Okay. That will benefit him for a very uh, few times, not, not too long. Jimmy, Jimmy, very good, very good. The traveler, what? He doesn't get too comfortable in where he's at. Whilst he's on his journey, he has a bare minimum amount of goods, a bare minimum amount of belongings. Doesn't bring his old closet, doesn't bring all of his belongings, doesn't take his shelter with him. Right? It takes things that will just last him for that journey. The bare minimum for that journey, that's the first thing. Two, this person never settles. Never settles and he never gets comfortable with that area. When does he start to unpack, get comfortable, relax, take a nice shower, sit with his family, sleep as long as he wants? When, is it, when do they get to a point where they're able to do this again? When? When they return back home. Where is home for the believer? May Allah make some people of Jannah. This is the hadith. Do you look, see the Prophet See the advice of the Prophet This is him telling you what? Do not get too comfortable. If we were to summarize this hadith, summarize, don't get too comfortable here. Do not get too attached to this. Allah refers to the dunya as what? As deception. Allah calls it deception. Illusion. It's not real. Don't, don't invest fully into it. Don't invest fully into this dunya. Remember death. Another famous hadith, if you, if you realize everything we're mentioning is just a hadith and ayat. This is sufficient for us. And this, why are we doing it this way? To show us that the best of advice comes from where? From the revelation. Now today people are so busy upon quotes of non-Muslims. I'm not saying don't benefit from them, but they're busy with quotes of others. And they're amazed, actually. They're actually amazed by the quotes of others. More than they are amazed by a verse of Allah. One of the ayats of Allah. One of the verses, or one of the hadith of the Prophet Some people even make it their, you know, their header or their profile picture. It's like, you know, Albert Einstein said this. Right? Or George Bush said this. Ajib. You have the best of advice. And subhanAllah, even the advice that we refer back to from these people, most of the time you find it in a more eloquent way from the Prophet And we'll mention it in the eighth principle, okay? So everything we're getting right now about this topic, remembering death, which is number seven, is from the ahadith and the ayat and Qur'aniyyah. The Prophet was asked, he said, مَنْ أَكْيَسُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ 
He says, who are the most intelligent of believers? A very beautiful hadith. And look at the answer of the Prophet He was asked, who are the most intelligent of the believers? A couple of benefits from this hadith. One, look at the kind of questions the companions are asking. And many, and many ahadith show us this. Many, when you see the kind of questions the companions direct to the Prophet they are not questions that are just idle talk, right? Or just no benefit to it. They are questions that have a great meaning to it and they know the answer of it will better their chances for the akhirah. Like the companion asked a great question. What is a greater question if we had an answer to it, right? What is a greater question than this asking what is the hour? This is, a, this is how these, this is, these are where the hearts of these people were. So this man asked, who is the most intellectual, inter, intelligent of believers, Ya Rasulullah? The most intelligent of believers is a very important principle. Pay attention. The smartest of the believers, the most prepared of the believers, are those who come with two traits. One, those who are abundantly remembering death, like we're talking about right now. Those who abundantly remember death, one, two, is it just enough to remember death a lot? No. There has to be a benefit coming from you remembering death a lot. And then that's what the Prophet mentions. And those who also are the best prepared for what is after death, in the hereafter. Meaning they invest in the hereafter. They visit the dunya in obeying Allah. They visit the dunya in refraining from, from ma'asi and sins and transgression and oppression. Prophet said these are the most intelligent of the people, the smartest of the people, the people who come in the day of judgment the most successful, are those who always remember death and due to this abundant remembering of death and constant reminding oneself of death, it causes them to be the best prepared for the hereafter. This is the fruit of remembering death. This is the fruit of going to the maqabir, going to the graves. This is the fruit of, visit, of, of following a janazah when someone passes away. This is the fruit of indulging in washing a deceased individual. These are all things that this is the closest we will get to while we're breathing to death. That is the closest you will get. And this is why we see in the, in the authority of Uthman ibn Affan Uthman when he would be in the presence of the graveyards. He would cry so severely to a point where it would what? It would soak his beard. And he was asked, Ya Uthman, Yudhkar laka al-Jannah, wa yudhkar laka al-Nar, wa anta laysa fi hadha al-Hal. Jannah, paradise is mentioned, the ayat of paradise is mentioned to you, and the ayat of hellfire is mentioned to you, and you're not in the state, A, of severe crying. Why now? What is so special about this mawqif, about this moment? And he narrates the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that we mentioned earlier that verily death is the first stages of the hereafter. As he says, the one who passes away, his judgment has begun. Remembering death. Sa'id ibn Jubayl, Ahl al-Salaf, Ahl al-Tabi'in. Sa'id ibn Jubayl, one of the students of about 30 companions. He says, Khashitu, Ida. He says, I fear that if the remembrance of death, the constant remember of death, leaves my heart, I fear that it will be the means of my destruction and corruption. Because once you forget reality, which is death, 
once that reality leaves your heart and leaves your con con uh, continuous thought process, now you are a lot more, it's a lot easier for you to fall short and to put your guards lower. But your guards are always going to stay up if you're always remembering death. If you're always remembering death. Hadha al-mawt. Hadha huwa al-mawt. This is remembering death and this is why it is important for the souls. It is a necessary point. It is a necessary point and a foundational principle in cleansing the hearts and souls. One who is far from remembering death is not really going to prepare for it like the one who is always remembering death. Doing their best to follow the janais. Trying their best to visit the maqabr every once in a while. Reading the ayat that talk about death. Reading the hadith that talk about death. Reading the description of the one who is going through the agonies of death. قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ فِي آخِرِ الْحَظَاتِهِ فِي آخِرِ دَقَائِقِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ قَالَ وَرَأْسَا إِنَّ لِلْمَوْتِ سَكَرَاتِ إِنَّ لِلْمَوْتِ سَكَرَاتِ his final moments, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his final moments before he parts from this dunya, he's saying these words, inna lil mawti sakarat, verily with death, there is agonies to death, there is pains to death. And this is him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and it was reported that he was severely sweating, severely sweating, and within those final moments, he's in and out of consciousness. In and out of consciousness, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Hadha al-Nabi, al-Kareem, al-Mustafa, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is him at death. He is going through this pain. If there was anyone that would have been saved from this moment, who would it have been? It would have been the Prophet He wasn't saved from it. How about us? How about us? Wallahi, these things, yeah, first for myself, Wallahi, for myself first. These things really need to put perspective in our thought process. And we don't mention it for the sake of stories. I don't mention it for myself for the sake of storytelling, for the sake of speaking in front of people. This should be a reminder for us. Really put a perspective. The Prophet saw something in death. How he was, how severe it was for him, how he was heavy on him. And this is the greatest man to walk. What do I think I'm gonna go through? What do I think I'm gonna go through? This is how we're supposed to think. And this topic itself can hold lectures. Can hold lectures. And perhaps to close this one, remembering death, the seventh principle is narrating one of the stories of Ibn Rajab. Not even going to fully narrate it, but just to mention one of his tendencies, Ibn Rajab, and a lot of the people of the Salaf. Ibn Rajab, one of the greatest Hanabila and Muhaddithin, from the scholars of the Hanbali Madhab, from the greatest Muhaddithin and Mufassireen to walk this earth. It was mentioned that Ibn Rajab was someone who consistently, up until his final moments, would put himself in an actual grief. And this is an area on many of the people of the past, many of the scholars of the past, that they would what? They would dig up a grave, or they would go to a grave that's digging up, and they would put themselves in that grave. They would put themselves in that grave. To remember this mawqif, to remember this time when they're going to be alone. This is how severe they were trying to prepare for this moment. But today, in the days we're living in today, death is the last thing on our minds. Death. The hour does not come to you, except that it comes to you in a surprise. Say, Ya Muhammad, that this death that you are fearing to encounter is going to catch you one day. It is going to catch you one day. This is what Allah says about death. That is the seventh principle. What is the seventh principle of the boss? La ilaha illallah.
Okay, but it comes from, I, I was fearing for you, Achi. Stop talking so much. I was fearing for you. You got distracted. Okay, I got you. I know good of you, inshallah. Don't worry. I know you're not the type for this. Number seven is constantly remembering that. Number eight. Number eight is taking good companionship. Taking good companions. Being busy in good, righteous gatherings. And there are many ayat and hadith that show us the importance of this and how it is necessary for the rectification of one's soul. Many ayat. And we can suffice ourselves with the ayat and the hadith. Honestly. They are so descriptive. And how they are brought forth, subhanAllah, shows the importance and ahmiyat. Had al-mawdu'a. It shows the importance of what this specific aspect in our rectification. Qala subhanahu wa ta'ala, I might need you guys help. Qala subhanahu wa ta'ala, wasbir nafsaka ma'al ladhina yad'oona rabbahum bil ghadati wal ashi'i yuriduna wajha. Wala ta'adu aynaka anhum turidu zinat al-hayat al-dunya. Wala tuti' man aghfanna qalbahu an dhikrina wa attaba'a hawaahu wa kana amruhu furuta. Wasur. Allah khayyat. Allah says in telling the believers, Wasbir nafsak and be patient, be diligent in what? Those who remember their Lord and supplicate their Lord day and night. Look at the trait that Allah used. Basically, what Allah is saying here is busy yourself, be patient and diligent in having righteous companionship. But Allah brings a specific trait of theirs that they are constantly remembering Allah day and night. They're constantly remembering Allah. Whenever you see them, you go out to get some food with them. You go to their house, you guys meet up, you meet at the masjid. You guys don't part from one another except that Allah's name is mentioned. Except that a hadith is mentioned. Except that a benefit is mentioned. Except that a reminder is brought forth. This is the righteous companionship. Allah is telling you, busy yourself with these people. They are seeking the face of Allah. They are seeking the thawab of Allah. They are seeking meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do not look the other way. Do not turn your cheek from these people who remember Allah. Don't say, oh, these people don't, they don't have fun, man. They don't know how to have fun. I'm just trying to go, one day I'm just trying to, you know, busy myself with some PlayStation, some Xbox. I just want to go kick it at the movies, right? Whatever. You, you don't, you think, that this is what you think of. Allah saying, don't do this. Do not part ways from these people. Don't think because they always remember Allah and they always bring up deen and they try to benefit with their time and they're telling you, Akhi, don't bring that up. Akhi, stop talking about this. Don't think that these people are boring. If you think that they're boring, if you think that they are not appeasing to you and appealing to you, the error is with your heart. This is very important. If you see yourself, there's some, you some sort of discomfort in being around someone who is always remembering Allah and always speaking about good and bringing up a hadith, and he's trying to read Qur'an, and let's do this, and let's do that. You find something, there is something in your heart against that, even if you don't vocalize it, Wallahi, go back and check yourself. Wallahi, go back, because this is, could be a severe indication that you have something, or your heart has been shunned, and blocked, and blinded from the remembrance of Allah. Imagine, this is from the greatest, Wallahi, masa'ib and calamities, that you walk this earth, and due to your arrogance, and negligence, of Allah and His Deen, Allah has put a veil over your heart. Who are these people who Allah has put a veil over their heart? The people who walk the earth 
and they can care less about the Akhirah. They can care less about their prayers. Their heart and their motivation is towards other things, whether it's halal or haram, but it's not the deen of Allah. It is not worshiping Allah. It is not preparing for that day you're going to return back to Allah. Allah says those who follow their desires consistently after reminded once, twice, three times. Eventually what does Allah do to these people who follow their desires? And these desires are a means for them being busy from Allah And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blinded and put down a veil on their ears, their ability to hear and their ability to hear and accept the truth. To hear and accept the religion of Allah, the reminders of Allah, and their hearts. Their hearts are hard as a rock. The verses of Allah that are supposed to break mountains don't penetrate this heart. That's how hard it is. That's what happens to an individual who's rewinded once, twice. You lose a friend, you lose a brother, you lose someone who's 20, 30, you go to Janazah once, twice, three times, and you're still consistently insisting on disobeying Allah and living off the obedience of Allah. Do not think that eventually you're going to come back. And don't be like, oh, this guy is being harsh. What is he talking about? Allah is the most merciful. Yes, he's the most merciful, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But don't think your continuous indulgement in being heedless and negligent and telling yourself tomorrow, 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 or next time, next time, next time, or when I grow up, I'm going to repent. When I grow up, I'll stop. Don't think that this is going to happen. Allah can blind you before then. And you can have eventually no eagerness and no strive towards coming back and repenting. May Allah protect us. So Allah is saying, busy yourself with these people. And don't turn away from them. And do not be with those people who are busy with the dunya. Do not be people that are busy. They're busy with the dunya. It's busy them to a point where they have been, become negligent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't busy yourself with these people. You are going to be whatever, upon, whatever your friends are upon. This is a quote of today. Everyone uses it. You're upon whatever your companions are upon, right? You're upon whatever your gathering is upon. Look at this advice came before these people, man. I'm just letting you know. This advice came before these people. If you wanted to know, Ibn Abbas says, if you want to know the affair of an individual, then just look at his friends. He's and he sings with Yaqeen. You will know the affair of an individual, what they are truly upon, if you just look at who he sits with. Doesn't matter. He said this was his mizan, this was a scale of identifying. What this person was truly upon. This Ibn Abbas, and he did not get it from far, he got it from the Prophet. The example of the good gathering, the good companionship, and the evil companionship is like the, the example of the one who sells musk and fragrance, and the one who is busy being a blacksmith. Look at the profound example of the Prophet The good companionship, the good gatherings, like this is like the one who sells musk and fragrance. It's always a win-win benefit with them. You're never losing. Why? The Prophet continues in the hadith and he says, you're either going to buy a fragrance from them, he will give you a sample, or bare minimal you will walk from his gathering smelling good. It's a win-win. If you have this person as a companion, you're always going to gain something. That is a good companionship. And the bad, the evil companionship, those who are busy with the dunya, who are they? They're like the blacksmith. The one who is busying themselves around people who are like blacksmiths. What, what happens when you're around someone who's a blacksmith? Busying yourself with iron and steel. 
you're either going to have your clothes burnt due to what the work he's doing, or bare minimum, you're going to walk away with a stench and odor. It's a lose-lose situation. And this is the process of telling you what? Good companionship is a means to one's rectification. The individual is upon the religion, the methodology of his friend. So beware and be cautious of who you take as a friend. Because you are going to be upon whatever your companion is upon. This is your Prophet telling you this before these guys started telling, you, telling us this and we take them as role models. It's the Prophet he was striving towards our good and our betterment and our success One, two more verses we'll mention we'll end there everything is verse in the hadith and it is enough Allah this is how this is just an indication go back to the Quran open up that Quran if you want advice you want to know how to go through your problems you want to know how to overcome life you want to know how to get out of whatever agony and depression and anxiety you're going through Go oh, to the book, the book, the speech of your creator who created you and everyone else that's going through problems like you. Go to, back to his speech. Go back to the man that was sent to reveal the speech and apply it and teach it. There is nothing better than this stuff. That's why all we're mentioning is ahadith and ayat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa said in the Quran, and on that day, on the day of judgment, the oppressive one, the one who has evil deeds that go that, that surpasses good deeds. The oppressor on that day is gonna be biting not his fingers, not his fingernails, his hands. He's gonna be biting his hands. That's how much fear he's gonna be going through. That's how much torment is prepared on that day. May Allah protect us. He's gonna be biting his hands. What did he say? I wish. Is there anything, any such thing as I wish on that day? Khalas. There's no such thing as I wish on that day. Today, as Ali Nupal says, today there is action and there is no judgment, but tomorrow there is judgment and no action. Take forth of your, these breaths, these couple of breaths that we have remaining, may Allah protect us. On that day, he'll be biting his hand saying, I wish I took the way of Allah and the way of the Messenger That is the first thing. The second thing that he mentions that he wishes he did not do is the thing that busied him from Allah and his Messenger. Pay attention. Immediately, he mentions what was the reason why he was busy from Allah and his Messenger. Why? Oh Allah, I wish. I did not take so-and-so, I did not take X, Y, Z as my friend, as my companion. Why? The, remember, the remembrance came to me. I was aware of Islam. I was aware I needed to pray. I was aware I needed to stay away from X, Y, Z sin. But he came into my life. I let him enter my life. And it busied me. He busied me. His companionship busied me. There is nothing you could do on that day but to blame someone else. And you know you're up for punishment. There's nothing you can do, but all you can do is That's how much hope you are hopeless on that day. You're going to say to the people who misguided you, the companions of who you are blaming for your, your state of punishment on that day, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, these people who are the reason why we were misguided, Allah gives them double the punishments. Because we know we're going to get punished already. Look at no hope. It's over. That day is over. Khalas. 
we may Allah may, make us from the people who strive towards betterment today before our time comes up. That is one verse. The last verse is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al all companionship, all friendship, any form of friendship and companionship on that day, on the day of judgment, these friends will turn into enemies. But Allah makes a what? He restricts it. There is a certain people who will not be enemies on that day. Except those who are what? Pious. Ayer. Gatherings, your friendship, your companions, or people who we described in the ayahs of the Kaf, and be diligent, be patient with the people who remember Allah day and night. The people who is mentioned in the hadith be from the people who are, as the example of the ones who sell musk, where it is a win-win benefit. These are the people, even, and this is from the greatest things that if we feel like we're coming short today, we find it hard to pray, we find it hard to remember Allah. We find it hard to read the Quran. We find it hard to remove bad habits in our lives and replace them with good ones. Maybe I replaced, maybe I left off the bad habits, like number six and number five, right? Where Akhuna Umar said, What? Remove sins from your life, cleanse your heart from sins and the attachment of sins, and cut off the avenues of, of sin. But there is still residue from the sins. You could, you could repent, it could be forgiven, but you gotta remember there's still residue from these sins. So it is hard. If one was sitting for five years, 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, doing a specific sin or a, a group of sins, you could repent and you would have made the intention to leave it off and you stopped, truly. But there's still residue for that sin in your heart. It takes a lot to cleanse it. You need to cleanse it. You need to cleanse it to a point where it is fully removed from your heart and it is attached to something else that is beneficial to you in your akhirah. From the greatest things that help one relieve a bad habit, and leave off bad tendencies and truly have an inclination towards good, which is number five, cleansing the evil and replacing it with the good, with the halal, with the ibadah, with the worship. It is the great and the good, righteous companionship. Well, I just try. If today you know you're not around people who remember Allah, who pray their prayers, who stop the gym and stop their games and stop their sports for praying. If you are people who curse a lot, around people who curse a lot and backbite, do haram, indulge in things that they shouldn't be doing. Give it a shot. Go try to befriend someone that you know is going to tell you to pray. Someone that you know is going to try to take you to classes in the masjid. Just give it a shot. Give it a try. It is from the great wallahi. It is from the greatest ways and the fastest ways for one to get out of, out of a bad tendency and be put onto a, a better one that is getting them closer to the remembrance and the reward and bounty of Allah May Allah make us from these people. May Allah make us from the successful ones. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. May Allah make us from those who are resurrected with our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us, accept from our families, accept from our parents, accept from our mothers and our fathers, and make us from those who return back to him subhanahu wa ta'ala upon la ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah, ala wallahu a'la, wa jallu wa a'lam, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sallam.